Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, What's up? we have a very special guest, and Tony's going to introduce him. This is CPA, Dan Hodges, Daniel Hodges. Uh, he owns Warrior. See, uh, you guys go by two different names. Warrior, Warrior Business Services. Warrior Business Services. Yep. And uh, he's going to be talking to us today. Uh, about all the things that uh, I do unprofessionally that I need to stop doing uh, <laughs> as far as uh, legal work and also uh, taxes. He's an awesome uh, accountant. We ended up switching to him uh, and Colby, who's over here in the corner of the room. You can't see him. Uh, uh, making sure that Dan doesn't say anything he's not supposed to say or we don't include anything in the podcast we're not supposed to. But he's been fantastic Ever since we switched over, we actually know that our books are right, and uh, tax accountants are really expensive, but they're worth it, and we're going to talk about why, um, especially because when you're in real estate, there's so many benefits and so many ways to give Uncle Sam less money. So this is CPA Dan Hodges. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you guys Thank you. for hosting me. I've been a longtime follower. Um you're on every channel I think there is now. Um, I love your, I, I love what you're doing with this, and I believe in you guys. Thank you. Thanks. You you had said before, don't just there's there's something like a tax accountant and then there's a CPA and they're different, yes. and you need to know the difference. What is a CPA? Well, okay, um, probably a, a good way for me to come at that is talk about accountants, okay, um, and tax preparers. Anybody in the world could do tax preparation. And don't, well, be careful, Tony, don't get this in your head. Like, you should, <laughs> you should, you should not be doing taxes. But if, Starting if, a new business. If things get slow, um, you could probably do taxes. I'm not sure there's a lot that would stop you from doing that. Is that, is that, am I on the right track? Yeah, I don't think there's much that would stop you from doing taxes. Now, whether you should be or shouldn't be, it's another issue. Taxes are complex. I mean, I'm going to get into it in a second here. I, I don't know how long I have to talk about this. You have this. as much time okay. as you need. All right. So just about anyone could be a tax preparer. And if you go to one of these, I'm going to try and use a generic name, a, a tax window shop. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying. H&R Block, you're not saying <clears throat> that? No. <laughs> um, if you go to a tax window shop. Um, sometimes their people are a little bit better than someone that just want to start doing taxes because they go to a training course um, that I've sent people to that training course before because it can be good to get some basic knowledge. It's um, a few weeks to a month, and then you can start doing taxes. Now, I'm going to try and compare and contrast that for a second. You also have degreed accountants, and a degreed accountant will be someone who went to college and they studied accounting. And taxes. And if you think about um, college degrees, there are a couple different levels, right? There's um, there's a, a two year degree, which is called what an associates. Mm -hmm. So I've hired a lot of associates degree accountants, and they're knowledgeable, um, probably on the accounting side more than on the tax side. Mm -hmm. And those two run together, but they're separate. Okay, so you could get an associates degree in accounting, and you would be a degree accountant. You could also get a four year degree in accounting, which would make you a bachelor's degree accountant. Mm -hmm. Now, um, then there's, you can go from there. The next level up would be a master's degree accountant. And then I myself, I don't run into them very often. Usually they're college professors. That would be a, like a PhD, like a doctorate of accounting. Mm -hmm. you, you don't need that to do what I do. Now, so we have uh, tax preparers. Then we have degree accountants. Well, then you can't market yourself as a tax doctor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could market yourself as whatever you want, but whether you're, whether you're qualified or not. Now, um, so we have tax preparers. We have degreed accountants. Um, then um, if you have an accounting degree, you might consider pursuing a credential, which signifies that you not only have the educational background, but you also have passed a test, a national test. And um, there are a couple recognized designations. When it comes to the tax world, two very commonly recognized designations would be an enrolled agent, EA. That means you passed a test before the IRS. And uh, it's 
it's overwhelming. It's um, brutal. Yeah, it's like a three-part test, and I'm going to be honest, uh, most people can't pass it. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before, and we've tried several different CRMs, and Ari Simply has been the best. Ari Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records your incoming phone calls. The system is simple to use and has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. We put the link in the description. Check it out now. Um, and then there's also the Certified Public Accountant CPA examination. And that one, the pass rate, uh, I want to say it's south of 50%. So, so if you think about it, to become a CPA, um, you have to have uh, graduated from high school to get into college. You have to, uh, you have to go to college. And to be able to sit for the CPA exam, there is a barrier. You have to have 150 credit hours. So that means you need a bachelor's degree plus an additional length of education, which is almost mm -hmm. gets you to a master's degree. I you don't to have to have a master's degree to be a CPA or to take the CPA exam, but you have to have 150 credit hours. Manchester College, or now it's Manchester University, they have like a rollover thing because one of my friends was like, yeah, I could do a fifth year and then I'd be able to get this additional thing. And maybe that's what he was talking hours. about. Yep, that's what it would be. So the additional year gets you 150, up to 150 credit hours. Once you have 150 credit hours um, and you've taken enough accounting classes and tax classes, then you are qualified to take the CPA exam. And that's where, no, 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 hang on. It's 150 credit hours to take the exam. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take the exam and you pass it, then um, to become licensed as a CPA, now these rules vary from state to state to state. Here in Indiana, I think you have to have two years of experience under another licensee. It used to, all this stuff has changed over time. It used to be three years. I think it's now compressed to two years. I hope I'm right about that because I don't want to give wrong information out. But I guess the point of all that is to become a CPA, like you have to, you have to hit a lot of stops. You have to get a high school degree, get a college degree. You have to have 150 credit hours, the bulk of which has to be in accounting and tax. Then you can sit for the exam that most people fail. If you pass, you then have passed the exam, and then to get licensed, you have to work under another licensee for a length of time, at least two years, and uh, some states, three years. And there might be one or two states out there that's a year. I don't know. It's Every state is different, but that's how you become a CPA. Now, once you become a CPA, uh, it, 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 our bodies of knowledge are in two main areas. There's a lot of different things you can do as a CPA, but... My expertise is in accounting rules and business taxation. Mm -hmm. That's where I spent the bulk of my career. 26 years since 1996 in working with family-owned businesses on their accounting and taxation. Yep. I got a question about that, actually. What is the difference between you and the other tax accountants because obviously there's a lot of cpas out there and we've been and there's a lot of accountants out there who yeah aren't CPAs. 100%. yeah and we've worked with a lot of them um <laughs> it's a few a few of them yeah yeah we've worked yeah. with i would consider quite a few i mean it's been like four um so it's been interesting but i would like to hear from your perspective what is different and what makes a good one and what what is the opportunities for people who are maybe not so good have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We give you marketing strategies like how to pull lists, who we target, and where we find the money. We go over sales, which includes live calls and negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's anything that we missed, we will create a video to answer your specific question. This knowledge has made us over a million dollars and we're selling it today for just $997. Click the link below. Yeah, I, I would like to talk about what my approach is. Yeah. And um, I would like to talk about the differences from your approach to other people's as well. Okay, okay, okay. So, like I say, I've done this since 1996, and I've done it. I've focused on family-owned businesses. Uh, the early part of my career, I worked with a national firm. With uh, my, We had offices around the country, 
Um, I did a lot of my work here in uh, Indiana, but I also worked with our Chicago office on jobs. I worked with our Cleveland office on jobs. And I flew to, out to New York for a, a, a few times with our corporate offices for some corporate crap. Mm -hmm. um, no, it was good experience. It was, I was really a loyal company guy until my firm decided to pull up stakes and say we're we're going to close our Indiana operations, and um, that's when I went self-employed myself. Mm. Okay, um, what I could say about what's different between my approach and other accountants is here's here's what, what I think I would say. A lot of accountants are comfortable with, and a lot of business people are comfortable with, and will use a once a year approach, like mm -hmm. just just. You, you can be off on your own all year long. Just uh, Tony can be your bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. that, that would be good, right? And um, he, can, he can do all your books and just bring them in next year, and then we'll do your taxes. I Early on in my career, I supported people in that capacity. And what would happen is we would go 12 months almost without talking. And then you would bring your box of junk in, or nowadays it's a virtual box of junk. And as the accountants, we would go through and do a year's worth of accounting. And sometimes what business people do is okay. I'm going to be honest, like 80% of the time, it's not real good. I would say 99% yeah. of the time. <laughs> it's not real good. It's something. But honestly, if we have to backtrack and undo things that were done, uh, honestly, my staff will say things like, this just would have been better if we started fresh, like mm -hmm. just clean, because we could get it done faster, better, more accurate, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, one of the approaches we use is to keep things clean all year long, every month and every week, depending on how much business you're doing. And for some, for, for some folks, we try and keep things clean every day. And really what we're doing is not just the supporting the accounting and the bookkeeping, but it's this. It's basic communication. Because, Dakota, if I were to ask you about something that happened you know, this this is the time of year when customarily you would bring your box of 12 months worth of junk in mm -hmm. to the accountant. Or maybe you'd still be working on another month or two, right? What what would happen in your past life? Oh, man, you would I would never remember anything. But you would you happened. would spend from now till it's January now, you'd be spending all January, maybe February. Oh maybe yeah. into March. Just stress. Getting your stuff yeah, together. Stress right? about it. They're like, all right, we need this, we need this, we need this. And then they're like, all right, we, tell me about everything that happened. I'm like, there's no way. Thinking about some of your very early accountants, when would you get that your box of junk into the accountant's office? The it, right before it's due. Yeah. What is what? March? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's about kind of normal. I'm not gonna call it good, but that's normal for a lot of business people, at least here in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So my approach, and I'm not the only one who does it this way, but I'm I think, I don't think there's that many people that do it like we do it here in our area in Northeast Indiana. I am a member of a national CPA firm association of small business accountants, and we all use the same approach, which is mm -hmm. keep things clean. We do it, here's how we describe it in my national association. We do a tax return one week at a time. It is not for what you would think. It's not the fact of being busy all year. What it is, it's basic communication, because I'll go back to what I was trying to say. When you bring in your box of junk, if I were to ask you, if I were to phone you up and say, Dakota, I'm looking at your box of junk, and back in January, what year are we in? Yeah. January 2022, or whatever. <laughs> back in January 2022, um, I see that you made a $3,000 purchase at Costco. Can you tell me what that is? And you might say something like, well, shoot, Dan, I go to Costco five days a week, right? <laughs> I'd be like asking you, what'd you buy at Chipotle? Right. Do you always order the same thing every time? 90% of the time. Okay, well, <laughs> that was a little easier. <laughs> that one's way easier. But yeah, the funny thing is we've spent massive amounts of money. It would be like 20, 30, 40, $50,000. You don't know what you spent that on? No, I no. don't. If, if you're doing enough business, it beco becomes really difficult. I mean, we're human. It, do you remember if, do you have Chipotle every day for lunch? Uh, 90% of the time, yes. I had it, I already had it for lunch, right? <laughs> already. <laughs> so you could probably tell me what you had for lunch last Tuesday. But like someone that every day they get something different, I mm -hmm. like to use the analogy. If I were to ask you what you had for lunch last Tuesday, can you remember? And people are like, hey, I can look at my calendar. Yeah, I can kind of work my way back to it. Mm -hmm. Well, if I ask you what you had for, month, for lunch three months ago mm -hmm. on the second Tuesday, 
Can you remember? No, man, I have no clue. Mm -hmm. So why would you use an accounting process where you're trying to rely on your memory from something that happened months ago and years ago? So in our world, we're just breaking it down into basic communication of we're looking at your stuff. Um, this is what you did. Can you tell us what you were trying to do? And then we'll get the accounting right. Yep. And it's just, to me, it's really about communication. 100%. That's a big part of our foundation at our firm. But the real reason we do that is so that people can participate in a forward-looking tax planning process. So in late summer, early fall, we meet with all of our business clients, and that's what we specialize in is family-owned business. And we talk about here's how you've done for seven months or eight months. And what do you think will happen the rest of the year? And then our clients tell us, this is what I think is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, we then marry together seven or eight actual clean, scrubbed up numbers, months, with what you think is going to happen for the balance of the year. And then as accountants, we kind of, accountants are historians, let's face it. Um, but if we're going through that process and looking at seven or eight scrubbed up clean months, and then we're adding to that what you think is going to happen, now we can become more than historians. We can talk about this is where your year is trending. Mm -hmm. And then um, depending on your business operation, it can be segmented into a couple different companies. So as accountants, um, when we do a tax return, we have to go through the books and divide things between things that are taxable for income and non-taxable income for income. And we have to divide things also between things that are deductible for expenses and not deductible for expenses. So at our tax planning time, we do that same exercise. We think about each company and we think about what will the tax return look like? And keep in mind, this is late summer, early fall. Yep. We do that for each company. And then we mock up what each owner's tax return would look like. And so if you think about this, nine months before you'll ever file a tax return, we are having a conversation about how it is trending and what it's looking like. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe someone's got a better way to do it. I don't know. There's always a better way. But that's the best way I know to think about it and quantify it. And then if you're okay with the way things are trending, great. Mm -hmm. But if you want to affect a different result, I mean, I think that's a very good way to do it. So that's why we do it our way at Warrior. And that's the only way we're going to do it. Like people that want to bring in a one-year box of junk, we might help someone as a one-time one accommodation, but yeah, from we, we turn away anyone. In fact, right now, I we're, we are accepting some new clients if it's a fit, but we're starting to slow down, you know, who we want to work with as customers because, I mean, can't work with everyone right and we want to work with people who are going to use our process yep that's what i was just about to ask is who do you look for in a client um is it just anybody who's like hey i'm willing to listen do whatever you have or what are you really looking for in a client if somebody is interested because i'm sure a lot of our people are real estate investors they're going to be interested in probably a cpa yep well i have a couple things to say about that um here's what i want to say at warrior we focus on people who are appear to be good at what they do because if it looks like you know you just started a business selling i don't want to pick in anyone but let's say you're selling candles out of the trunk of your car i don't know if that's a sustainable business and i don't know if you need an accountant for that yeah but if uh if we're talking with someone that they're really good at what they do but they've had a continued problem with um not knowing where their numbers were having unexpected results for their tax situation but they're really a good company and maybe they have good cash flow and good operations and good principles with good reputations. Those would be a good fit for our services at Warrior because if they have some of those things, you know, that we can't do for them under control, we can jump in and do the accounting all day long. I mean, we're yep. accountants. Yep. That's what we do. Yep. Yeah, I'll say for anybody who is thinking about like uh, whether they can afford it or whether they should spend the money, because I remember when we first started, we were actually talked to you probably like three, four, five. I can't remember how long ago it's been, but it's been a, it's been a long time. And I remember talking back then in the amount of money that it was, I think it was like a hundred dollars a week or something like that. And like to me now, it sounds like so small, but to then it was like, man, this is not it doesn't make sense for us financially right now because we're not making enough money, but... Yeah, we got everything we need in Google Sheets. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> we got it all, like, here. And the funny thing is, if we would have had that foundation, we wouldn't have ran into the issues that we have. So for anybody who is thinking about it, um, I would suggest doing it now and doing it earlier. That way you don't have to build and then backtrack. And then, yeah, we just 
came into a lot of issues from not having it built up front. So and part of our process too, part of the the way that we were so successful is by leveraging a lot of debt. And yep. in order to leverage a lot of debt, you have to be bankable and you've got to have good books. And yep. so mm. we had questionable, okay, decent fifty percent good books that we gave to the banks and then they eventually shut us down and stopped giving us loans. And basically if we had had Warrior Previously, we would have gotten uh, lines of credit opened up when interest rates were better, and it probably would have saved us a few hundred thousand dollars in interest and miscellaneous other things that, like, opportunities, too, because opportunities. We, we weren't yeah. certain if we would have the money to actually keep the deal. So there were times when we sold stuff because we just needed to because we were maxed out on everything when if our books were better, we yeah. would have had more I want to credit. shed a little more light on that too actually because uh, yeah whenever we first started they were giving us um, uh, loans based on my work not based on what the company was doing because Your the W-2 company job correct yeah yep. so they were giving us loans based on that and then what Tony is talking about is we were not getting our tax returns done and so the banks are waiting for tax you returns. were extended weren't you? yeah constantly, exactly. constantly extended this is kind of normal for business people they think they're saving money by bringing that yep. box of junk in yep. not not thinking about how their accountant has to go through and spend it in it you know they have to do the accounting for an entire year and not just for your company yep. but for all the multiple companies you have and then multiply that by the number of clients they have so yep. if everyone in their clients they're using the box of junk method or virtual box of junk sure. method. Um, man, it just, that sounds like a horrible way. I lived it in the past. I understand how it works. I just don't think it's appropriate for my clients who want the caliber of service that I want to deliver. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it was a game changer for us again, just to be able to get the financing, but then also be certain on our numbers because we weren't even sure if we're making money at that point. We're like, we don't even know if we're making money. We don't know, are we doing the right thing? And we scaled like massively, yeah, for where we were. And then we're like, I hope we're going in the right direction, but we didn't know because it wasn't. We are getting it once a year. And then when the once a year came, we're like, yes, we're finally here. We're gonna know if we made money or not. Oh, you're delayed. Oh, you're pushing it back. Oh, you just threw all these numbers together that we aren't even sure are accurate because you just slammed it all in there. All right, well, this might not be working out. And so, yeah, it was a learning opportunity. But for anybody who's thinking about it, I would definitely suggest doing it early. It's going to help you with your certainty. It's going to help you with financing. It's going to help with everything, everything that you can do in business. It's so important. Yeah, there was a period of time, too, Dakota's like, you know, for the people that are listening, they're like, how do you know that if that you're not making money or like, how wouldn't you know? You, like, obviously, you would know. Well, when we scaled uh, probably last year or like a year and a half ago, we went from you know buying three houses and then flipping two to buying eight houses and then flipping four to buying 16 houses and then flipping three. And it was like we were buying so much volume and our holding times were getting longer. And so we were uh, requiring a lot more capital at that time. And so it was like, man, we're borrowing a lot more money than we are uh, making consistently monthly. So it was like, man, we're, we're scary, leveraging, scary using times. a lot of leverage. Very yeah. scary. Yeah. But good accounting takes away a lot of fear because we saw an equity and I had spreadsheets for it, but it's a whole different thing when you can see it on your profit and loss and your balance statements and you can understand where the money's going. It's just, it's a game changer, but enough on that. Um, my question is that everybody's gonna be asked what you talked about is the strategy. So I know you don't like to answer these questions, but I want to ask it anyway, just to see if you will. <laughs> the three best strategies for real estate, single family to save money on their taxes that you think that like people miss or do not use or like uh, that you think would be the biggest ones that people want to hear about. Cause that's what people love to talk about, especially real estate guys. Well, sure. Yeah. You know, and I'm an investor too. We can talk yep. about that a little bit later. Yep. Uh, I've been investing since 2006, so just a little while. Yep. Um, I think when it comes, we're talking about single family homes. Yep. Probably. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really good one. See, I'm I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'm glad you're here because I always have a million things in my mind. You know, one thing I want to say, just a brief sideline. Um, sometimes people put me on a pedestal. I'm just a human being. I am very humble. I try and surround myself with good people mm-hmm. and in all areas of my life. So I do have one of my colleagues with me today and he's not on camera. 
um, but we worked very closely on a number of projects. And he brought up something that we see again and again and again from people that have done do-it-yourself taxes. When you buy a rental property, um, the IRS gives you the ability to take a deduction for that rental property. It's got a goofy name in the accounting and tax world. It's called depreciation. And what that means is the accounting definition is the systematic deduction of your investment in that property over a prescribed, prescribed length of time. So the IRS tells you what that length of time is. These laws change every once in a while. They really were turned on their head back in 1982. Some things were turned on their head. Uh, we had President Trump in the Trump tax bill was changed. It was really good for real estate investors, despite what you might hear on the news. Um, so for a single family home, you can take that home. And if you do, if you get it set up correctly, you can take a deduction over 27 and a half years under current rules that have been around since 1982. Now, in addition, under the Trump rules, there are some cases where you might be able to take a faster deduction for some things. Now, I need to preface all this and say one thing for all your listeners, which mm -hmm. is my, um, my professional standards require that I say this and my insurance and stuff like that. I'm a certified public accountant and uh, everyone's tax situation is different. It's unique, it's unique as DNA. So while I'm a CPA and I'm offering some of this advice, uh, it, for your listeners, I'm not your CPA. You need to find an accountant, enrolled agent, CPA, someone you can work with who can listen to your circumstances and give you the correct advice. But if you're doing do-it-yourself taxes and you don't are not taking that deduction for depreciation, man, get yourself some knowledge, get yourself a tax professional now. It'll yeah. make a huge difference, especially as you build. Yeah. Do you have to be a uh, considered a real estate professional to, in order to use that, or what is the you know the real estate professional? Well, the status? rules. Okay, the rules are complex in that area. Real estate professional would be someone who uh, is typically licensed either as a builder or a realtor, but you have to be spending the bulk of your time in real estate. And now this doesn't really intersect with depreciation. Like if you were. Let me think of a basic person, a, a factory guy. Yep. If you're a factory guy and you're making, I don't want to throw numbers up, but let's say, you know, you're supporting your family. So maybe you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year assembling cars and you buy a rental property. There is probably a deduction for you. If you're filing a married joint return, there's probably a deduction for you for the cost of that home against the rental income in terms of depreciation. Now, if you start loading up on properties and you have all of a sudden 10, 50, 100 properties, that could change. There are some limitations, and particularly if you're high income in your household. If you're high income in your household, um, you can end up in a situation where if your depreciation eats up all your rent income, your depreciation and your deduction eats up all your income, might be in a situation where it would create a loss. And that's where the rules start to get complex pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you look at things like your other sources of income and uh, uh, how you earn the income there. And you might be able to take, take a deduction, you might not. What you're driving at is, in some cases, let's say you were a rich doctor and you're making all kinds of money. And then you heard on the Tony Dakota show that you can get deductions by buying properties. Yep. It's true, but if you're super high income, your deductions might be limited. You can you can put those deductions on paper, but you can't deduct them in total against this year's income. You might have to carry them forward. Mm. Okay. What does real estate professional status get you? Well, it does if if you are if that is let's just say you have no other source of income and you're just earning your income as a um, builder or a realtor or investor, you might be able to deduct all of those deductions, mm. um, whereas like a rich doctor couldn't. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the short paraphrase. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah, all in one year on one tax return as compared to having to carry it forward or spread it out differently. Does that kind of make sense? Yep. Yep. Uh, what is the qualifications for a real estate professional again? I know you said it's like the bulk. There's a lot. Yeah. Well, the you know, Tax rules are complex and these things do change regularly. So if it's something you're interested in, this is what I'm a big fan of, Tony, um, in, as, uh, as accountants. We have training like in 
in the spirit of the law in the processes. But every time when you have a tax question, I mean, it sounds weird, I know, but we have to go look it up. It's kind of like building code. I mean, building code changes from time to time, right? Mm. But, you know, um, do you know what the rise and run needs to be on stairs? You know that off the top of your head? Nope. But you know where to look it up, right? Because mm. you're a builder, licensed builder, mm. right? Yeah. Yep. So you know where to look it up. As accountants, when that question comes up, we just go look it up and do a brush up and make sure that we're dealing in the current rules. And so this is what I would encourage someone to do. Look up those rules and see if you think you qualify and then talk with a tax professional about your qualifications. I will tell you one other secret in this. This is a million. This is million dollar advice here. The secret to so many things in the tax world is papering it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean by that, Dakota? Do you know what I mean by that, Dakota? In Tony. in Tony, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> documenting, documenting everything and the reasons of why you made certain decisions. Yes. Meeting minutes. Yes. So yeah. not if, not fabricating them like potentially Trump is getting in trouble for. So I don't know his circumstances and I haven't read the stuff and I don't believe what I read on the news anyway. <laughs> yeah, I've just, I've just been seeing it come through, you know, the news feed. <laughs> Was that? Was it saying that he was a real estate professional and they're saying maybe he wasn't? No, I think it's just like, you know, these documents potentially were falsified in order to make sure that he could lose the most money possible on paper. So he was trying to paper things that didn't happen necessarily. Hmm. Well, according to the news. <laughs> yeah, so according to the news. The news, yeah. I don't know. According to the well, people. And, are, and yeah. if you listen to what Tony said, they might have falsified. Like, <laughs> you know, it's right. like, yeah, he could have. Okay, like there could have been a might a lot of things that happened. But yeah, that is funny. I could piss off a lot of your audience. You could piss I, them I, off. I, That's fine. I, I, <laughs> Gets I, more comments. I, I am a Trump fan. Yeah. I've long been a Trump fan before he was president. I mean, doesn't mean I idolize him and put him on a pedestal. Right. I think it would have been great if he would have had like a, a, a what do you call it? a public relations person yeah. who spoke most of the time. <laughs> I'm a fan of his economic policy. Yeah, it was 100%. good for the economy, and I don't care what anyone says. I 100% believe it was good for the economy. I 100% believe it was good for investors and business people. I 100% believe it was good for I, I, every household. Yeah. Even when you saw on the news like this is only for the rich. No, there were so many deductions and um, tax-lowering things for basic, average people. It was incredible. Now, um, there was something I wanted to say, and we kind of got off track on a different venue here. What were we, what were we talking about? We were talking about, about tax professional status, um, uh, real estate, Real estate professional status. Oh, no, you were talking about... Uh, papering. Yeah, papering. The secret papering. of papering. So what I mean is, if you want to say you're a tax professional... There is a requirement that you can document how many hours you spent in real estate. Mm. I'm pretty sure you guys could evidence that. But for someone that maybe they read the rules and they think, man, I'm close. I'm just not sure I'm there. Mm. What you need to be doing is papering it. You need to everyday calendar. Like I went and spent this time and I did. I, I changed this broken toilet and I, I uh, you know, I, mm -hmm. I fixed this uh, door and I, you know all the stuff that you have to do as an investor. Yep. You know, I went and installed new flooring and put new paint on. And the more you can document the time that you spent, the better off you'll be. What people do is kind of like the mileage log. Um, you know, if you want a deduction for your automobile, do you want to play a little round of um, like, uh, uh, is it true or is it not true? You want to play a random question here? Sure. Like a game? Okay. So, Tony will play. <laughs> Tony is a good, a, a good, a, a good one for this. Although I, what I've learned about Tony is he researches stuff. Yes. So oh yeah. I think it's about oh, 50-50. Yeah. Okay. Do you have your pilot's license? I uh, I was working on my pilot's license. You did a background check. <laughs> your um, middle name is U Eugene. <laughs> <It> is. <laughs> so. Here's what I want to ask. You look um, good for your age, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I look pretty good for 32, don't I? Now, here's what I want to talk about. Um, when, it when it comes to an auto deduction, people will... Um, how do I set this up, Colby? It's uh, like a truther... Factor fiction. Factor fiction. Factor fiction. If I want to take an auto deduction, is it fact that I need to keep a mileage log... Or is it like optional? What would you mm, say? Well, it depends on if you want to take the mileage or you want to take the 
the maintenance. That is, so what you're talking about there is the standard mileage deduction versus the actual cost method. And you are right there are falling into what I call a tax myth or urban legend. If you wanna check these out, I have a bunch of them on my TikTok. Because people think if I just drive my car and wanna take actual costs, I don't have to keep a mileage log. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you want any deduction for your car, you have to have a mileage log. Mm. It's the law and it became, uh, it became a um, more of a, the law got definitely more firm and more harder and rough under President Obama. Mm-hmm. Under President Obama, they changed the law to say that you must have a mileage log, period, or no deduction. Mm. And I don't care whether it's standard mileage or whether it's actual cost. The reason you have to have it with actual cost is this. If you have a car that you know, you're driving to the grocery store and you're taking on vacation, but you're also using it for business, how do you split that up? Because you're never supposed to deduct personal stuff. Mm-hmm. So how would you divide that up? Absent a mileage log. Guess. <laughs> you use, you use the guess method. So this is, uh, this is an example of what I'm talking about when I say you have to paper things. So um, I don't care how you do it. If you want a deduction for a car, just get in the habit of keeping a mileage log. There are low-tech ways to do it. There are high-tech ways to do it. The recipe that IRS prescribes, this is worthy of writing down. You have to have the date, the starting odometer for the trip, the ending odometer for the trip, and the um, destination or purpose. Mm. If you have those criteria, if you get audited for an auto deduction, eh, I'm not going to say you're going to win because, I mean, anytime you get audited, there's still a chance you could lose. Yeah. But, man, if you ha- I have had mileage audits and... If you have that, that your chances of um, not losing go way up. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, I mean, on, ever since uh, President Obama's law, it's you're going to lose. Yep. You have to have a mileage log, whether it's for standard mileage or whether it's for actual cost. I want to clarify and one thing. The, uh, the medium tech way <laughs> that Dakota and I do it is through Mile IQ, which is an app that you can purchase on your phone. I think it's like 60 bucks a year. Yeah. Is that what it is? It's good it's and bad. It's better than nothing. Does it have starting odometer and ending odometer? Because uh, I read a lot of tax court cases. It, if you do not have you, starting odometer and ending odometer per trip. It has a spot where you can put it in. You should it's be logging it because if the, you do not log it, that log is not compliant. Mm-hmm. It's better than nothing. I'm going to give you that. Mm-hmm. But the secret to so many tax deductions and optimizing your situation is paper trail. Yeah. And on that, the recipe is exact. It's not approximate. There's a lot of tax court cases. Do you remember when, uh, I'm trying to remember what that mapping software is, mapquest.com. Do you remember those days? Yeah. So back when mapquest.com came out. And you had to print off how to get to somebody's house. So what business people would do is print those off and put them in their planner. At the end of the year, they would add up all the miles that they had. Mm. People went to tax court with that, and they lost. And do you know why they lost? No starting and ending on order. That's right, 100%. But what the tax court said is, furthermore, the miles that um, MapQuest.com listed are aeronautical miles. It's like if you fly a helicopter straight up in the air mm-hmm. and measure from here to where you're going. I took a shortcut, you know. Yeah. Uh, they want to know. The IRS wants to know how many miles did your tires go. Mm-hmm. So. I have a question about that. Okay. Um, so you said that you can't deduct um, unless you track the miles. Let's say that there's a vehicle, though. It's over 6,000 pounds and it's December 31st and you had no miles tracked for all year you can still deduct it on that date because you're buying it correct well it's a separate thing yeah okay what we're talking about here is um, two, two separate rules yeah there's a couple things that intersect there is a deduction for buying a heavy suv and yep. you can deduct a lot of it years ago you could deduct a hundred thousand dollars for an suv so back in those days you would drive up to a business and you'd see a hummer Yep. in the parking lot <laughs> and the next year you'd see two hummers <laughs> in in year three you'd see three hummers and, and then you'd think to yourself this business only has one owner and one you know one employee what the hell is going on how many well, hummer, how many hummers does the guy need with the reliability of the hummer you need three yeah 100 <laughs> you know the one's going out so or both so all three. 
I think personally, I don't think that's a real good investment because do cars go up in value typically? I mean, they have yeah, yeah, this right. used car market, but in a normal time, yeah, do cars go up in value or yeah, mostly keep their value mostly go down? Yeah. So why would you buy something that's going down in value? Would, I mean, as an investor, wouldn't you rather spend your money on something that like I would rather put my money towards a duplex or a mm-hmm. commercial property myself? Mm-hmm. Yep. But okay, so you can deduct. A, um, if you buy something that is over 6,000 pounds GVW, it's possible that you could deduct a lot of that vehicle in one year if you're using it for business, but you still have to have a mileage log. This is an urban legend and tax myth that's out there. Like you just buy a truck and write it off and then there goes your profit. You don't have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is if you use that more than 50% for personal use, you have to give back that deduction. It's very salty. It mm. re- a lot of people that have taken this deduction don't realize it. So if you stop using it for business, you have to report that as income that year. That's what the tax law says. Wow. So let's say that you did it, uh, let's just say last year, you used it for a couple years and then now you decide to retire it. What's, what's the situation with the vehicle four years from now and then now we're going to use it for personal use? You may have to give that deduction back. I mean, as, as a capital gain? Uh, it would be depreciation recapture, I think. Oh, okay. Mm. That's interesting. So depreciation recapture is essentially income on your tax return. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you did have one of these weird car markets where you bought a 6,000-pound GBW, you took a write-off all in one year, and then you stopped business Porsche, and took Porsche a— Porsche Cayenne. <laughs> and, and then you—yeah, st- a Porsche Cayenne. It was at over 6,000 pounds. Yeah, I don't drive it just barely meets stuff. the requirement. Okay. And you, so think- let's say you're in business for a few years, and then all of a sudden you're like, screw this. I want to go back to having a stable job where someone else tell me what to do and that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you read rich dad poor dad you would chuckle at that um if you stopped using that for business you have a problem you have a problem i mean if if you're tax averse and you don't want to do the right thing and report the depreciation recapture because if you stop using it for business i mean the rule is it has to be north of 50 percent use for business and that personal use by the way Typically, if you're in some kind of business um, situation, it should be added to the owner's W-2. Mm-hmm. It's another thing that people don't realize about that. So I know it's the trendy thing, like just get an SUV and write it off, but it's much deeper than it appears on the surface. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need a competent tax professional and you need to have a paper trail. And the log showing that use is north of 50%. Because if you can evidence that, great. If you can't, Man, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. You got a problem you didn't even know you had, right? Yeah. So. Those are the worst problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does your organization look like today? Because we got Colby back here. Yeah. Um, you have, uh, I can't remember the one lady's name. Vicky. She's like Vicky. Yeah. Um, yourself. Um, is that pretty much your entire can, team or how I, big is I your team? Can I talk more globally? Yeah. Um, I have my CPA firm. I also am an investor and I'm a licensed builder and I have a, a separate company for that. I don't do really work for others typically. Mm-hmm. I do it for my own portfolio. Um, in addition, I have a venture that I started about five years ago. Uh, I tried to get up and going and I didn't do a real great job getting it where I wanted to get it. So this past year I rebooted this venture, which is myfavoritecpa.com. I took my 26 years of professional experience dealing with um, business owners and investors, and I put that in the form of a course five Mm -hmm. years ago. And uh, I did a poor job marketing it five years ago. I'm I'm pretty high tech, but I really needed some help. This year, I decided to reboot it. I hired the help, and I have my course live, up and running. It's got really good content. It's about like if if you were getting in business, you know, should you do it in an unincorporated way? Should you set up an LLC? Everyone sets up an LLC nowadays. But if you set up set up an LLC, what do you need to do to do it right? And then um, uh, how do you file the LLC tax form? It's a little bit of a joke. Um, do you know what the LLC tax form is? I think that it automatically gets taxed as a partnership if you don't choose a, a different election right off the bat. Right? Another tax myth and urban legend. Um, so it all depends on the facts and circumstances. So when you form an LLC, 
Here's what I can tell you. You have 75 days generally to tell IRS from the minute an LLC is born how you would like it to be taxed. If you don't tell IRS, they're going to make a decision for you. Anytime IRS makes a decision for you, by the way, Tony, do you think it's going to be in your favor or? Probably good for them. That's right. So in my course, I describe the different ways an LLC can be taxed. And um, kind of the rules of the game. I like. I should have brought some uh, some props today. I like to talk about mm-hmm. business as a deck of cards. If I were to take a deck of cards and you know set it down here on the table, you might have a question. What would that question be? What game are we going to play? That's right. So so many people get into business and they establish like, here's my deck of cards, here's my LLC, or here's I'm just in business. I'm just going to have fun, but. Don't you think you would be so much more successful at the game of cards if we talked about what game we're going to play? Because with a deck of cards, you could play um, poker. You could play uh, uh, go fish. Rummy. Yeah. Gin. You know, whatever. So if we talked about what game we're going to play and you give me a rundown, like, ah, man, I played that when I was in high school. Can you tell me how that works again? Well, there's the right bower and the left bower and, you know, Mm -hmm. this is how you win. All right, don't you think my chances of success are going to go up? Mm-hmm. So that's what my course is all about. Is It's a primer on what you need to know in business, the different ways you can be taxed, and um, why you might want to choose one versus the other, and then some elements of what you need to do to do things right. Because just setting up an LLC, it's like a thing that everyone does nowadays. If you can fog a mirror, set up an LLC. But is that the right tax decision? It depends. Mm -hmm. Everyone's tax DNA is different and depends on what you're doing with it. So my course is about helping people understand that. And it's the things that other accountants and CPAs, they're just way too busy digging out of 12 12 months worth of garbage for every client that they work with that they don't have time to talk with their clients about. That's why I put my content in the form of a course. And uh, you can can watch it, you know, what do you call that when you watch Netflix, just NN, um, binge? You can binge watch it, or you can watch it a little bit every day in like a week. You will have the knowledge that would help you get started in business, or at least you would know like some ways you can do it and some ways it might make sense and some ways it might not make sense. And know what you're getting into. It's the rules of the game. Oh, That's yeah. at myfavoritecpa.com. And I do have something that your viewers could check out. My, the URL for it is myfavoritecpa.com slash training. So in that course, it would be like you can kind of preview the course without buying the course. Mm. Yeah, I I think that's worthy of looking at. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is where they could where they could get it. So my favorite CPA slash training, Training. my favorite CPA dot com dot com slash slash training. training. I like it. So actually, you brought me to a question that we get all the time. You kind of touched on it, but I hear this question so, 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 so often. Whenever somebody is going to buy their first investment home, should they open an LLC? And I know, like, everybody has different thoughts and opinions on that. I would like to hear yours. Well, okay. Every newbie, every single newbie. Every (laughs) single. I I literally got it asked three times yesterday. Yep. (laughs) Yep. The first thing I have to say is this. Um, I talked about what it takes to become a CPA. One of the things it takes to become a CPA is we have to have more legal education than your average person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I do have I do possess more business law education than your average person, um, and so I think I'm qualified to talk a little bit about this. But one thing I also have to say is I'm not an attorney. If you have legal questions, you should ask your attorney. Okay, because I can't dispense legal advice. But here's what I would say from my vantage point. If you run an LLC properly, if something goes wrong, and people always wonder, well, what could go wrong with, you know, a rental property? Hey, have you guys ever experienced something that could go wrong? Just give me an example here. No, I'm not I don't talking think we ever have happened. <laughs> <laughs> just like some small stuff, just like a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, getting sued. Uh, I mean, we've had one that was in Toledo, Ohio, that was just the worst and it had so many issues. I don't even, uh, the HVAC was going bad that it was letting out ozone. This could potentially kill everybody. Oh the gas line was bad. Like there was just so okay, much. Okay, So think about that for a second. Like if that building exploded, yep. um, pretty good potential. Did, was it insured? Yes. Okay. So insurance is your first line of defense. And I, I think that's a good line of defense. Now here's the thing about insurance, like all insurance companies, 
I'm going to piss off your, your whole <laughs> segment of they your people know. that sell insurance. But insurance companies, I, I feel like their game is getting out of paying costs. 100%. It, it's in the fine print. Like, if, if, if you didn't have the gas line inspected or whatever, then they're not going to pay. Yep. Yeah, bank, banks are pretty big buildings in the city. And then you look at the second largest buildings, they're the insurance companies. So, like, they figure out how to keep the majority of their money. Yeah. <laughs> so... Insurance is your first line of defense. I have a friend that's an attorney who told me that when years ago, insurance contracts used to be when you would print them out like, oh, two inches stack of paper and it was on onion skin thin paper and it was micro fine print on both sides of the document in legal size. So you would print it out. And if something came up, they'd say, well, it's on page 432 Roman numeral, you know, I subletter J one A. If you did not shovel the walk and someone slips and falls, we ain't paying. Yep. Okay. So now if the insurance company refuses to pay or the other thing I want to put on the table is this, um, what kind of liability coverage do people typically get on insurance? Like 100, yeah, 300, 100, something like that. Thousand. So $100,000. Okay. So if someone would have gotten hurt, if that building exploded, let's say your liability coverage was a hundred thousand, the insurance company is like, yep, this is why you bought insurance. We're paying out that hundred thousand dollars. What if the lawsuit was for $10 million? Then you got to cover the other 900 so, or 9,900. <laughs> so they would look to the owner of that building in that mm -hmm. case. So if the owner was Tony in Dakota, they would say, thanks for the $100,000 check. Where's the other $9,900,000 coming from? Mm -hmm. We want a list of all your assets mm -hmm. and so on. And I think that's in, in paraphrase. That's how the legal process would go. Now, if uh, by contrast, if that building is held in an LLC, same fact pattern, it blows up, you got $100,000 of coverage, the lawsuit is for $10 million, um, they would be looking to the owner of that property, that LLC, to take care of the other $9.9 Now, one thing we have to be careful of is if you ran the LLC property, I am a big fan of having a lawyer set up your LLC and make sure that the lawyer, ha uh, the lawyer having, making sure that you have all the attending documents like an operating agreement, lease agreements, um, all the different stuff you have to have to be, to have that corporate veil of protection. So yep. if the lawyer took care of that, then it's things like, were you acting like an LLC? Were you depositing the money into a bank account that had the name LLC on it, your company name LLC? And hopefully you do not want to have your names on it because I see business people, I've over the years I've seen people, business, business people do this all the time. XYZ LLC owned by Dakota or Dakota owner. Mm. Not a good idea, I think, because yeah. what are you doing if, if you get sued? You're just saying, yeah, come me. after me. Right. So I would have the LLC name only on an LLC bank account. In that bank account, you're depositing all LLC income and you're paying LLC expenses and only LLC expenses out of that bank account. Those are elements of doing things correctly and getting that corporate protection. Mm -hmm. If um, Now, if you're th there are people out there who pay anything and everything out of their business account, they're paying groceries out of their account, they're paying the mortgage payment when they're short at home out of out of the account when they're short in the LLC, they're depositing their spouse's check into the account. Um, and the checks have not only XYZ LLC, but also Dakota yeah. on there. Yep. Um, and little things like also paying attention to your title. Like every time that you sign a document for the LLC, you should be putting your official title, which generally speaking, at least in Indiana, should be member, mm. member, not owner. When you put owner, do you sound, I mean, when you think about um, someone. Corporate personhood. Yeah. Well, I, I like to create a visual like, uh, who's the owner of Berkshire Hathaway? Uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. So what would Warren Buffett do in this situation? Does he sign a check, Warren Buffett, comma, owner? Probably CEO. No, he's signing. He probably doesn't even sign him anymore. <laughs> but, but if he's he like, did, I'm going to drink Coca-Cola, <laughs> eat my popsicles, work out, and play chess. <laughs> But what Warren Buffett would be doing is make, because he, he knows the rules, he's making sure every time he's signing in his capacity as an officer or as a member, not in his individual capacity. When you put comma, comma owner, I wonder if that could expose you to getting sucked into a lawsuit. Hmm.
So those are elements of running an LLC correctly. And if you're going to form an LLC, why would you go to all the effort if you're not going to run it correctly? Yeah. Right. And so I guess what I would say is everyone's circumstance is different. It depends on your risk. It depends on your insurance. It depends on your legal advice. But personally, I think it's a good thing to, if you have enough risk, um, I like to see each commercial property in its own LLC. I like to see residential properties, maybe a couple few in each LLC. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I have seen lawsuits in throughout my career. And I have had people who thanked me later, like, I am so glad that I followed your advice because this bad thing happened. And then they wanted to come after the farm. And before I met you, I was definitely against corporations and LLCs. And you talked with us about it. And we decided to do what you said. And then when this lawsuit happened for some crazy number, we were able to walk away from the lawsuit and our insurance paid what they paid. And it was that kind of thing where there was a lawsuit in excess of the insurance coverage. Yep. If you do things right, you're not going to regret it. If you take anything short of right is a shortcut in shortcuts. I mean, I just, I lose sleep over things like that myself. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. I think that's really solid advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would you, if something bad happened, would you, I mean, I'm Dakota, I know you, and you would be pissed to lose one property. <laughs> but if you lost your whole portfolio over some dumb thing, how would you feel about that? Yeah, it would definitely suck pretty bad. I know we could rebuild it, but it would suck. You would, yeah. No one, I mean, yeah, so no. why not put the infrastructure in place so that if something bad happened? Yep. That it's, um, some people call it belt and suspenders. And the, for your audience, the one thing about having LLCs and corporations is you need to budget money for professional advice and professional services. You need a lawyer to write all the documents and review the documents, and you need an accountant to do all the stuff to dot the I's and cross the T's. Because if you go through the exercise, I'm going to say it again, if you set up an LLC and don't use it correctly, yeah, you might as well, if something bad happens, you you will regret that. Yeah, it won't protect you anyway. I think that's, yeah, I think that's really solid advice. Honestly, my advice to people is always like uh, very similar. Obviously, we know the answer is yes, you should open up an LLC, but if it's gonna stop you from doing your first deal, just get your first deal and then like move it to an LLC or do something later. Like don't let it stop you. I agree with that. Yeah, so I agree don't, with that. don't let it hinder you, but at the same time, yes, you should. Like <laughs> you definitely should open up an LLC and then do it correctly. If you're gonna buy it in your own name, just make sure you have a really good insurance man. Yeah. My dad used to say with insurance companies, it, more than the insurance company, it really comes down to your agent. Mm -hmm. um, if an agent is representing you, they should be thinking about your interests. Mm. That begs the question, are they in the insurance company's agent or are they your agent? Mm -hmm. I want someone who's my agent yeah. working for me. Yep. So if you can find that right person, if they get your back covered, you know, insurance should be cheap. I mean, they don't pay anything anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you have the right one, they will have your back. Yeah. But so I poke fun at it, but I, I do believe in good insurance, man. Yeah. So, yeah, we've had we've had some good experiences with uh, Linda Jackson and she helped us out on some stuff actually with one of ours and she did help. So, yeah, I can see how go, them going to bat for you definitely does make a difference because they're going to be going to the company and saying, hey, no, this is we got to take care facts. of this. Yeah. Yep. And then if you have that relationship then they are going to be like more apt to do it because like she really did have our back. And so we do appreciate that. If you're too. calling 1-800-GEICO, I mean, yeah, nobody, uh, gives, nobody cares. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a good situation. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we're getting close to the hour mark, which is usually where we cut it off. We have a final question that we like to ask everyone and it's, uh, it's usually a pretty deep question. And, uh, so, you're on your deathbed and you have a final message to the world. It can be a sentence, a mantra, a paragraph, a uh, sentence, a billboard in front of Times Square. It's your final message that you think that the world needs to hear. And what is your message? Wow. 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 That's, that's pretty crazy. And all your TikToks are gone. Everything's gone. Everything you've ever created is gone. This is your last one that you get to share with everybody. Here's, here's th what I think I would tell my kids 
this is something I was raised with. Um, and this is a quote by President Calvin Coolidge. Um, when I was a kid in my boyhood home, this was hanging on the wall. And my dad used to make us read it every day. Wow. And, and this is it. Uh, it's press on. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Hmm. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education alone will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. So what that saying is, don't give up. You know, you can be successful with education. You can be successful without an education. Um, there's a lot of people who, um, who give up. Um, also, I guess I would say this. People are not going to come and hand you your dream. Mm -hmm. You have to get out of bed every day and work it. So I know the thing sometimes is I'm just going to buy a, a rental property and then I can quit my job. <laughs> um, people are not going to come and hand you your dream. You have to be willing to work it. And more importantly, I know you guys know this. To be successful, it's about sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? Mm -hmm. The more you're willing to sacrifice, I think the more you may see success. Yeah. But if you're not willing to sacrifice, don't expect the world to hand you anything. Mm -hmm. I like I love that because the funny thing is it's what you're willing to sacrifice and the funny thing is just putting it on the line doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lose it but you have to be willing to lose you have it. Be willing. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. So that's kind of what I was raised with and um it it made a difference in my life and another thing that my my dad kind of drilled into me was pretty good advice. He used to uh, when I was a kid he used to tell me um like uh if I, I remember when I was a little kid and I was, uh, I was kind of shy and timid and I went to McDonald's with my dad and, and he's like, yeah, your, your drink's empty there. Would you, you want another? I'm like, yeah, will you go get me one? No, go up there and go ask him. And I was mm. just, I, I just fell apart. Like, I don't want to go up and ask. How old were you? I was like five or six. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and, and so my dad used to push me and say, just go and ask. And the worst they can possibly do is say no. Mm -hmm. And every time in my life when I met, like, a, a wall, he would say, just go and ask. Remember, the worst they can possibly do is say no. Mm -hmm. And I know on things for you, that's kind of, um, if you think about some of your successes, you've gone and asked yeah. when, uh, when other people are just too, too scared to ask. So mm -hmm. I think be willing to sacrifice, um, ask. And if someone says no, are you going to cry yourself to sleep over that? Oh, go ask nope. another one. Next. Yep. 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 So that's, that's a little bit about my life. Love it. So uh, we know myfavoritecpa.com is one of the ways to get a hold of you. Yep. Myfavoritecpa.com slash training is how people can preview the preview course. Preview the course for and free. And then if someone wants to hire you as a tax accountant, they need to take the course and then give you a call or they need to send you a if message. If someone took my course and reached out to me, like I, we're almost closing the door and taking new clients right now, it's open a crack. If someone had taken my course, I am more interested in talking to them. If someone is a hot mess and they're not willing to sacrifice and they don't want to do things right and their reputation is dodgy, uh, we're not looking for anyone like that. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. So the we want good, the good folks should get a hold of you at, well, at you an can email or like a phone number. What do you think? Uh, so let me think. I wasn't prepared for that question. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my, uh, I'll give you my personal assistance phone number. And, yep. and this is only for people that are, um, in, that are looking for an accountant. And um, I would be willing to talk to someone that meets the criteria I talked before. Mm -hmm. And uh, my assistant talks with them. And honestly, if people are call up and they're rude to my assistant, good luck talking to me. I'm not going to talk to you because my assistant is my right-hand man. Mm -hmm. And her number is 260-459-9998.
I've made a big difference to a lot of people's lives. That's one thing I can pride myself on if I were to drop dead tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but my assistant is my right-hand man, and people should treat her like gold. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all my people are good, and I don't want any of my people disrespected. So 100%. if people met those criteria, I mean, I've fired clients over, like, if they want to be jerky to my people, goodbye. Right. Goodbye. Yeah, it's yep. funny. I've noticed that I, I can allow people to be meaner to me, but yep. then as soon as I hear somebody to like talk to like Ryan or like affected yep. them in a certain way, I'm like, here's your box. Let me junk. talk to him. I'm yep. like, let me talk to him. <laughs> Most of the time they're like uh, sellers or something like that. I'm like, all right, now like you got me upset. I'm like, dang, I gotta figure, I gotta figure that out because I actually do get a little bit upset and like. I get more, defensive with my yeah. people. I mean, yeah. they watch my back, yep. and so I want my people treated right. But 100%. yeah, um, check out myfavoritecpa.com slash training and then uh if uh, if someone really is looking for an accountant and um they they think that they would like to scale call my personal assistant we'll arrange a conversation I like it awesome thank you guys so much for taking the time today i, I yeah. love this thanks yeah. for coming on yeah it's been fun i think a lot of people got a lot of information that was actually way more information than i thought we were going to get into <laughs> uh for 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 helping people with tax strategies uh again Another shout out to uh, Warrior CPA for helping us with our numbers. Um, Again, we've used multiple, 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 and from different high-level people, like people that we thought would be, they own over hundreds of units, and they're like, yep, this is our tax count. And they're gonna, I'm like, they gotta be great if this person's using them. And they did, they were not at the same caliber um, that, that Warrior is. So yeah, another shout out. Thank you guys for everything that you do for us and for all that you've helped us with. We've been able to scale we tripled what we did last year and that a lot of that was actually help from you guys to knowing what we're doing and having that certainty and then also being able to obviously get the financing as well so it's process yes 100 papering it's process and it's papering that's what it is that's what it comes down to yep yep so yeah thank you and thank you guys for watching if you have any questions or need any help from us let us know of course our course is always available and then yes reach out to dan for tax count see you guys on the next one peace